0: Welcome to Fine is a Four-Letter Word, the podcast that empowers you to say fuck being fine. Tired of being stuck in a place where you say everything's fine when it's really not fine at all? You're not alone. I'm your host, Lori Seitz. I've been there too, and so have my guests. Here's a secret. All it takes is a conscious decision to change and then restructure beliefs so your actions take you in the right direction. That's where fine is a four letter word comes in. Each week, you'll hear inspiring stories from people who have transformed their lives and businesses, and practical tips and takeaways to move you from spinning in place to forward action so you can create a life of joy. Thanks for tuning in. Let's get started. Get ready to meet Christina Langdon. She's a powerhouse entrepreneur, speaker, and executive coach with a fighting spirit. She has over 30 years of experience leading sales and marketing teams at mega media brands like Martha Stewart Living, Omni Media, and Fast Company. In this episode, you'll hear about Christina's incredible journey of resilience and self-discovery. From her childhood lessons on hard work and money, through her parents' divorce, To stepping up as the responsible middle child, Christina has always been a fighter. Her tenacity led her to become the chief revenue officer of Fast Company. But when the job didn't live up to her expectations and her soul was calling out for more, she had to pivot and challenge her past definition of success. After a life-changing diagnosis of AML leukemia, Christina took her fighting spirit to a whole new level launching her own coaching business and writing her book For Success Sake. She's on a mission to help others achieve their extraordinary goals and encourages you not to wait for a crisis to make a change. Today's episode is sponsored by Zen Rabbit. If you'd like to find peace of mind amidst the chaos and no matter what's going on around you, you'll find a whole bunch of free resources like meditations and articles at zenrabbit.com. And while you're there, if you're curious about how you might stop working so hard and achieve more success at the same time, get a copy of The 5 Easy Ways to Start Living a Sabbatical Life. It's a short and free guide to working less and living better. Find it all at zenrabbit.com. Now, strap in for a roller coaster ride of redefining success, building self-belief, and doing the work to figure out who you'd like to become. Hello, and welcome to Fine is a Four-Letter Word. My guest today is Christina Langdon. Welcome to the show, Christina. Hi there. I'm so excited to be here. I am really looking forward to this conversation. So let's jump right in and start with the question that I love asking people, which is, what were the values and beliefs that you were raised with that contributed to making you who you became as a young adult, especially? Hard work
1: was probably number one. My first job was when I was 11 years old. I was, watching, I was washing dishes at an uh, Italian restaurant in my hometown. So she had us working early. Um, hard work. My mother would always say, like, you write your own life script. Mm. So she very much was like, you know, you get what you fight for. You work for there was some um, scarcity around money as well. My mother was a, we, my uh, my parents were divorced when I was eleven, and when we moved into our new house, my mother had this beautiful black and white picture book. It was one of those big seventy dollar books that you'd buy at the Barnes and Noble now, and it was yeah. on our coffee table in our living room. And the name of it was The Bag Ladies of New York City. Mm. And so I think that that's where some of my money mindset uh, came from as well. So hard work, perseverance, and
0: uh, and make make your own money. It, so yes, we, we were talking in our pre show conversation. I don't know if this came up, but uh, my parents got divorced when I was eleven as well. So it's just it's that that age where you're in between, like you're not a kid, but you're learning about stuff. And it's really impressionable. I heard you say your mom taught you that you get what you fight for. Yes. So did you always feel like you had to fight for everything that you needed to know,
1: Yeah. I think that I have, I felt like, I was fighting for everything growing up. And I, I have a new relationship with that now. I think that's changed as I've done a lot of work. Um, but I do think I had—I felt like I was fighting. Some of it was survival because my mother worked very hard my senior year in high school. She traveled 50 weeks out of the year. She would—not the whole week. But so I kind of raised myself. So— mm. um, I think there was a fighter in me, and I think that fighter has served me very, very well until it didn't. Right. And I've had to, like, redefine that relationship between having the life I want without the fight. Mm. So it's, it's a work in progress every day.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Exactly. Did you have any brothers or sisters?
1: I had an older sister who's six years older. I have an older sister who's six years older, and I have a younger brother who's five years younger. So we had some distance between us. So my sister was out of the house during my teenage years, uh, and while my mother was traveling, I was really, I was really, you know,
0: the the person in charge. That's a lot for a a young kid, you know, a kid in high school who wants to have no responsibilities, and you had to right. Yeah.
1: So there was a lot of responsibility, but then I would say, you know, the good part about it is it's what kind of defined who I was. I took responsibility very, very seriously at at a young age and started creating the life that I wanted at a very young age. So some of it's really, really good, served me really well and created the success in my life. And some of it was also very hard, but it really made me who I am.
0: Absolutely. I'm not saying that any of the anything any of us have been through is to look back and go, I wish it had been different necessarily because yeah, it did make us who we are. So then how did that, that outlook serve you or not serve you as you started getting into a career? You know, that's
1: a really good question. Um, So I worked really hard because I knew, and I was driven that, you know, I, I, to get what you want, you have to fight for it, just like we've talked about. So I graduated college. I went out and I got my first career. I wanted promotions. I was going to work very hard for what I wanted. I ended up getting the promotions. I worked for uh, a public relations firm right out of school. And then I got to work for Time Magazine. Then I went to work for Martha Stewart for 20 years. And there, I had a successive rise in different titles. Um, I was there for almost 20 years. I ended up, I was associate publisher of her magazine, Martha Stewart Living, for many years. I was the publisher of Body & Soul magazine. I was also the publisher of Everyday Food. So I was leading the sales and marketing division of the company. uh, And I was clawing. I was going up that corporate ladder, right? Uh, Hear me roar a little bit. And my last job in media was as the chief revenue officer at Fast Company. And so I had, like, ended up in the C-suite. And I thought it was going to be easier. Like, I wasn't going to have to fight so much.
0: Right. Well, after I Um, get to the top, I don't have to fight as hard? Is that, yeah.
1: No, I thought I just, I really did think this should be easier. And so when I get there, I had all of these thoughts around, wow, this isn't what I expected. There was disappointment. There was something was not aligned. There were all of these whispers saying that I was meant for something else, even though what do you mean something else? This was supposed to be it. There was a lot of conflict. And while you could look at my CV or my LinkedIn profile and see this successive rise of a career and I looked like perfect on paper, what ended up happening was I was really perfectly miserable. And needed to do the work because I'd fought for all those years. I'd fought for what I thought would make me happy. Because you get what you want. My mom said, you go fight for it. Well, Mm I fought, and it wasn't making me happy. So what would make me happy? And there was a big reconciliation there.
0: Why did you think that being at the top would be easier? Like, where did that thought come from? That's just Because I'm interested. It's an interesting idea. I just saw other people at the top
1: and what looked so much easier for them. So I was comparing myself to others. I was comparing myself saying, well, if they can make it look easy, then I'm sure it'll be easy for me. Um, and I, you know, what is,
0: how do you even define the word easy? Well, I was going to ask you, did you ever have conversations with those people that you were looking at to find out if it was, in fact, it felt did it feel easy for them or did they just make it look that way so you thought it was that way for them?
1: That's a really good question. And off the top of my head, my first thought is no. I didn't. I just looked at them and thought I wanted to role model who they were. But probably yeah. like just like everybody behind closed doors, you know, we're having, you know, fights in our head about how difficult things are.
0: Yeah. And I, did I, I think
1: th- that I did think that I, at the C-suite, I'd be setting the vision and I'd be working on high level stuff. And then I would just delegate everything away. And that was not the recipe that was going to work.
0: Was that not the recipe that was going to work because of the industry or because you just had a misconception around how it is up there?
1: You know, that's a that's another really good question. I think it was more about my expectation for the role. Uh, and it was it was it was sort of not in alignment. But I think it was all came from that, those sort of the whispers of this isn't really what I should be doing. So it was making what I was doing more difficult. Gotcha. Even though I I have to say, like some of them that the irony, some of the biggest accomplishments in my career were the last several years in media. I mean, I did some absolutely amazing things. But those whispers and the nudges, I mean, they were there. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So did you allow yourself to celebrate those wins? Or did it feel like, okay, yeah, I did this, but I'm not really feeling fulfilled, so I'm not going to celebrate it?
1: Um, I, You know, I was working in an organization that was looking to get uh, build in more profitability. They were at a very low profit level. and that was my role as Chief Revenue officer was to create more profit. And when I took the job, I was told I would have complete autonomy. So I'm pretty self-directed, right? And we've yes. talked about it. I'm a fighter. Yeah. so and I also felt that I had... Um, the recipe. I had a recipe that I was proven in my 20 years at Martha Stewart where there was lots of crisis, lots of up and downs, that I had learned enough there uh, that I could take this recipe and create a difference. And what I learned when I got there was that I didn't have complete autonomy. And so that is why I work for myself now. Yeah. Because- I know what success looks like and I know I can create it. Now I'm creating it for myself instead of for somebody else because without that autonomy um uh I think that really um was really took the wind out of my sails.
0: Yeah, I can imagine it would because if you're promised something and that's and something as important as autonomy. Yeah. And then you don't get that that's a big blow to your uh, drive. Like, to I'm not going to put as much like into it. as.
1: Ex- yeah. yeah. To drive to my expectations, to how I ended up showing up like so, so much. And, and what's so interesting as well, I was frustrated from that. It wasn't, I wasn't given the autonomy. I didn't really recognize it until
0: after I left. Mm.
1: Awareness is so powerful
0: yeah. So so you, right. It just felt uncomfortable, but you weren't really sure why. I yes, think it's funny exactly. just to back up for a second. I think it's funny that you used the term uh, that you had the recipe and you were coming from Martha Stewart. I just, oh <laughs> I mean, <my laughs> I'm laughing at this over here. I, I didn't even plan for that. That's a good one. <laughs> yeah. You should use that again. <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. So you, how long were you at fast company and how, what what was the, the the turning point where you went all right this isn't what I thought it was going to be I need to leave and go find my oh, find what well, it is that I need to do what my soul is telling me
1: I probably would have liked to have made the decision myself <laughs> oh. So I ended up I ended up getting ex I call it exiled Because I think I like that. I was exiled from Fast Company. So Fast Company is owned by a company that's called Mansueto Ventures. And they also own uh, the media brand, Inc. So essentially, I worked on uh, the business side, advertising uh, and marketing. And they combined the two uh, leadership divisions from both magazines into one. So the woman was, um, was exiled. Okay. Yeah. But it was good. I mean, when I look back on it, it gave me the time to say, okay, I did some really great things there. And I also was in a bit of conflict. So it gave me the time to say, okay, let's really do the work. What, where was the conflict coming from? And what do you want to do next? And a lot of people thought I would just go and get another CRO job or a big name job in the media business. And I loved media. It wasn't I didn't love media. I just didn't love what I was doing. I cared less about the quarterly numbers and I cared more about the people mm-hmm. and getting the people to see what they couldn't see for themselves and getting the people to see what they could see a little bit more clearly. So I, w- I was given the time to figure out what I wanted to do with myself. And it you're talking about gift. the
0: people on your team.
1: Yeah. And all that had always worked for me.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Like I knew I could lead very high performing teams. It was something that I'd done. So, you know, I went from the dishwashing at 11, right? And I took a leadership role by 13. I was the manager of all the the waitresses. I was, you know, worked for steward surveys in a management position when I was like 15 years old. So I always, it wasn't so much that I wanted to be in the leadership role as much as I was driven to help, Others become their best steward surveys. You would make more money the more surveys you did. I would teach them how to do that. I would Mm. teach the
0: waitresses like sort of how to make better tips. Which plays to that whole idea of you don't have to have the title of leader to be Mm -mm. a leader. You just do it. And then you're a leader.
1: Yeah. And, you know, it depends on like the 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 word leadership has a lot of different um, definitions, just what you said. I mean, you don't have to be the top, top dog to be a leader. It's more about influence. And like one, you know, as I've worked to define success for myself, I say that I want to be successful. And, you know, those last three letters, I make them into four. I say successful, F-U-L-L, and I want to be full of more ease, more joy, and more impact. So the impact, I don't have to be the leader to have impact. Mm-hmm. I can just do that by helping influence people, by helping support people, by helping
0: being kind, right? Yeah, everybody has the ability to do that, no matter what yeah. your, your formal role is in just in life. We all have the ability to do that.
1: And just because I don't have the CRO title doesn't make me any less of a fighter.
0: hmm Yeah. So you still identify very strongly with being a fighter.
1: I do. I think, you know, as you asked me, like growing up, I think once it's ingrained in you, it's ingrained. And yeah. now I'd like to think that I fight for other people. Yeah.
0: Were you angry when you were like for myself?
1: And I also fight for myself. Like, you know, I've I'm a cancer survivor. So, you know, going through AML treatment for a year, you know, I had to I had to do a lot of fighting. And, you know, kind of circling this all back to my story. So I was diagnosed with AML leukemia on April Fool's Day. It was no joke. (laughs) <laughs> and put into the hospital uh, for this year-long treatment. And so when you think about having to fight for my survival, part of what I fought for was creating success. So what I, part of what I fought for was in sur- a survival tactic, a fighter tactic, was I launched my new coaching business.
0: Allow me a quick moment to thank you for tuning in to Fine is a Four-Letter Word. If you're enjoying the show, please take a second to hit the follow button so you don't miss an episode. And if you haven't already, I'd love it if you would leave me a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. Your feedback helps the show reach more listeners like you. Fine is a four-letter word is available on all major podcasting platforms. So no matter where you listen, you can stay up to date with the latest episodes. Now let's get back into the conversation. First of all, how long after you left or you were exiled from Fast Company, where did you get that diagnosis? And the other question I was going to ask is, were you angry when they exiled you? Or did you immediately see it as an opportunity? Like the universe was giving you the opportunity that you had wanted but didn't know.
1: No, I mean full transparency is that didn't come for a little bit. Okay. Even though it really was the gift. You know, when I was exiled, I was like, "Wait. You don't know. This is this is all coming around. This is all happening. There's so much more to do." So, I think where my disappointment, my anger came from was what a missed opportunity. Their letting me go felt like a missed opportunity because I knew we were like minutes away. I had made such an inroad. And of course, the quarter and the, the the year after I left was one of the most successful years that brand had ever had because I had done all the right things to help the team come together to create a more successful enterprise. So I think it was more about like, it felt like a missed opportunity because I was so close Mm -hmm. Um, and it probably took me, you know, a little bit to, to get over the disappointment, but I knew being the fighter, right? I
0: knew that there was something more for me out there. Okay. So then how soon or how long after you left there did you get that diagnosis? It
1: was about a year later.
0: Okay. What were you doing in that year
1: span? It's a, it's a good question. My husband and I opened up, we bought a local business and, um, we decided that we wanted to do something that we no longer wanted to, to commute to New York city, that we wanted to do something that was local, that was actually within the community. And we wanted to make that our next chapter. So we bought this existing business that had been um, going for 10 years. And when we took it over, we were actually drinking like from the fire hose, trying to figure out, um, you know, how to run this, this local business. And I got this phone call. From And I knew, by the way, the whispers I was talking about earlier, the whispers were going louder and louder. Like, I've got mm-hmm. to figure out what my purpose is. And, you know, fine is not a four-letter word, right? Oh, fine is a four-letter word. I felt Absolutely. like purpose is like a four-letter word too, right? Yeah. And, you know, it was like, and I, I think, you know, for F's sake, I wanted to figure out what my purpose was. And I got a phone call from somebody who I'd worked with at Fast mm-hmm. Company, on my, cell, on my cell phone, and she said that she wanted to make sure that she reached out to me. I was one of the few people that she'd reached out to since she'd had this horrible uh, concussion, which put her behind closed doors for about a year because it was her ninth, her ninth concussion. Oh, my gosh. That's a lot. So she's like, I had a lot of time to think, and I wanted to reach out to you to let you know that you changed my life both professionally and personally. Why aren't you a coach? You have the ability— <laughs> To help people. I mean, it was it was crazy. And it sort of like kind of opened me up. It sort of cracked me open. It was like, I've been toying around. Like I would make fun of myself um, because on any given day working for Martha Stewart and all of the challenges and crises there, you could find me at the 46th, uh, the 46th Street Barnes and Noble in the self-help and personal development aisle. So I had this like sort of knack for uh, the personal development, executive development, leadership development um, space. And so when she said it, it a little bit cracked me open. And so the, I held my first workshop. Uh, it was a four-hour workshop on how to lead your extraordinary life with eight women. And I wasn't feeling well. Three days later, I was diagnosed with leukemia. Okay. Okay. Wow, and so I felt a little robbed. Like I finally yeah. found my, you know, my, you know, my purpose, my F, my effing purpose, right? right. And um, I felt robbed, and so I didn't want to be robbed. So the fighter came out. I wanted to survive, and I also wanted to launch this business. And I'm not pounding my chest because it was a diff- very difficult year, but me launching the business. while I was getting treatment, was a little bit of a
0: survival tactic. Yeah, I would think so. I mean, that's some uh, pretty brutal, I don't know if it was brutal, if brutal is the right word for the treatment. Yeah. 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 (laughs) And you're launching a business, which is uh, difficult to say the least, experience on top of that. So, yeah. Yeah. Fertile. don't yeah. but you
1: know what I came out and you know one of the things I say to women right now and is that like we you don't want to wait for a health crisis. you don't want to wait for burnout and health issues to decide that you are deserving of more. and to give yourself permission, you know, oftentimes, and i know we talked about this earlier like we are as women we're seen we're told to like go to college and get that first job and get married have kids and then all of a sudden we're raising our kids and we look around one day and we're like is this it? Mm. is this it? and so you know i wrote the book for success sake and i wrote it with that woman in mind That this isn't it. We've got the rest of our life. We've got more than half of our life to live. And why not rediscover? If you have an itch for more, why not rediscover it now? Um, Because when you're happy, your family, your husband, your friends will be happy because they're going to be seeing you happy.
0: Right. It's our responsibility to find our happiness in order to then radiate that out and spread that joy. So many people and I've had so many guests and I've heard it, you know, because we read the same kind of books and listen to the same kinds of podcasts and stuff about not waiting for a crisis to make a change. Mm -hmm. And yet still so many people are like, yes, 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 I hear that, but they don't actually take it in. They don't actually follow it until there's a crisis. Until there's a crisis. And so I think it was uh, Dan Sullivan
1: who has said, like, if you want your future to be bigger, better, happier, you have to be thinking about it bigger and better. Like, you have to be thinking about your future, not sometime off in the future. Mm -hmm. It's not out there. You have to start creating it today. And when you think about a better, a bigger future, you start making decisions that are bigger and better. So sometimes we keep thinking like the bank account has to be bigger or we have to think about getting our kids to college before we can get decided around what we want. And if you just think about, for me, what worked is I just thought about what was possible for me in my future. What's possible when I'm happy, who will I become when I give myself permission that
0: (sighs) I want to create something different. That is the, The thing I love so much is who will I become? I love that question and asking that question of ourselves. And I've talked about that before on this show too. Who who would I like to be? Mm -hmm. Who would I like to become? And stepping into that. And I'm also happy that you said it doesn't matter the size of your bank account because I've had a lot mm-hmm. of conversations. This, this whole season has been focused around taking sabbaticals or talking to people who have taken a sabbatical. And so many people I've heard from who've listened to these episodes are like, well, yeah, but I can't afford it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And then the question, again, is almost, well, how can you not afford it? Because you are suffering on What is it costing you? Yeah, what's it
1: costing? What is it costing you to not get decided around what you deserve? So, like people expected me to go back, stay in the media business, right? And I had expectations of myself. Mm -hmm. And I had so much judgment about becoming a coach. What would people think of me? And instead, I started saying, Well, who would I become if I became a coach? Now, you got to remember, I also had those, um, what about the bank account? Yeah. What happens if I can't build a coaching? What happens if I fail, right? So I had to say, well, what, who would I become if I had paying clients? Hmm. So the whole notion of who I will become is something I write about in my journals all the time. So when I started writing the book, who will I become when I'm a book author? That was a really big one. Well, I because like I have that. written, I, you know, I've got like two books. I wrote, a, I wrote a book that I got lost on the computer, got just corrupted. It was called From Martha to Mother. That was my first one. I wrote another book while I was in um, a treatment. N- neither one of these books have been published, right? So mm-hmm. I kept saying, like, am I going to do this? So I finally think I decided to publish a book when I did when I really did the work on who would I become when I did.
0: I love that. That is a great exercise for anyone listening mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. pull out a journal or even just just think about it. You don't have to write it down. Who will I become oh. when I reach that ideal situation?
1: And you know what? Another um I use a lot is, um, who will I become when I break my own glass ceiling? Ooh, I like that. We all have these glass ceilings. Like I've said it here on the podcast, like my glass ceiling, I was thinking, well, do I have to stay in the, the media business? I was thinking the media business was my ceiling, when in fact, I broke through that thought to become a coach. And who would I become by breaking the glass ceiling and actually publishing a book? Like, all of a sudden when I wrote about it, I could see it. And as soon as I saw it, I couldn't unbecome it.
0: Yes. Yes. It's that whole idea of I have to see it to believe it, Mm
1: -hmm. which isn't always correct. So building belief is one of the hardest things I've ever, I haven't You know, we've talked about me being a fighter, but I've never believed in myself until recently. It really took a long time for me to build belief that I was the creator of my destiny, just just like my mother was saying, right? And I finally started believing in myself um, after I did the work to, you know, one one of the quotes I say is, you are the biggest influencer in your life. And when you recognize your influence over you, it's a game changer. So I when I finally started believing myself, I said, okay, how do I want to influence my life? And I broke it down into really small, easy, bite-sized steps. And I created influence over myself to create what I wanted. And looking at and thinking about and writing about okay, where's the evidence of my belief? Where have I already created it? Dan Sullivan um, and Dr. Benjamin Hardy have written a book that's called The Gap and the Gain. And they say that your success, you've already created your success. Your future success will come from your past success. So when I'm building belief, I look back on the success that I've created to see where I can pull from it to build
0: belief about the future I want to create. Is that how you work with your clients, too? Because that's mm-hmm. a really difficult thing to do on your own. Because we have blinders or, or yeah. blind spots about our own success. Yeah.
1: And the first place you have to start is defining what success looks like. And When, you, decide, when, you, when you actually define it, because most people don't. Most people spend more time planning vacations than they do. Defining what success looks like for them. Because we know it's not money. We know it's not things. It comes from a decision that you make about how you want to feel. So I work with my clients to help them build belief and find the evidence of what they can create so that they can believe in their results
0: ahead of time. Yeah. You know, I, I like that. Who was it? it was one of my past mentors who said something to me about believing in me until I could believe in myself. Like he was holding the belief in me for me until Mm -hmm. I could see it myself until I could get there. And that's what a a great coach does for you. Yeah. And when you saw it, what changed for you? What was different? Well, then I could step into being who he was already seeing me as.
1: Isn't that amazing?
0: Yeah. Yeah. And but and this is, again, why people need coaches to help them get to this place. Like, I say this all the time. It, it's really difficult. So you were talking about doing – that you had to do the work. Mm-hmm. Were you working with the coach? What were you doing when you say you were doing the work to – figure this out?
1: Um, I had my first coach when I was back at working at Martha Stewart, and she was really out there. And I resisted at first. And when I started realizing, why am I resisting? The company is paying for this coach. How about embracing it? What would it look like if I embraced it? So I coached myself. I'm being coached by this crazy coach. And she was amazing. I look back and I'm like, oh, but it, it really was like, oh, look what she's doing. She's changing people's lives. So that sort of gave me like a little bit of an appetite for it. But when I did the work on myself, I was so tired of myself. That's the other thing. Stop waiting till you just get so tired of yourself, you know, to start believing in yourself. So I did the work. Um, I went back and got certified um, in leadership coaching. I got certified in emotional intelligence. I read a lot of um, books. I listened to a lot of podcasts and took a lot away and created sort of my own frameworks for, okay, I'm going to take what other people are saying and how am I going to apply that to what I want to create for myself? So wow. is a fighter— Good or bad? What do I think about fighting? Right? What do I think about being a fighter? How has being a fighter served me? How has a fighter not served me? When I think about like why was I perfectly miserable in the C-suite? Was it because I wasn't a good leader? No. But when I got when I got exiled, sure, there were all the thoughts of I did something wrong or I was bad, like can we shame and blame ourselves, right? Yeah. And no, I found the evidence of what I had accomplished. And from that evidence, I was like, okay, I accomplished a lot, but I want to do more instead of the blame and shame. So right. uh, I kind of put myself into my own like personal development MBA.
0: Okay. Yeah. I find that that is happens fairly frequently as well. People start studying coaching because they want to understand themselves, yeah. not yeah. necessarily because they have the desire to become a coach, but that's what ends up happening because now they have all these great tools. And if you're going to work with a coach, you got to make sure that that coach is a product
1: of their own product.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Right? So uh, I coach a lot of people in the C-suite. I coach a lot of uh, chief executives and founders um, because I've been a chief executive. I've done it. And we need to be a product
0: of our products. Absolutely. You need to understand yeah, that, where they're coming from, and they need to know that you understand exactly where they are exactly. and where they're where they'd like to go. Very cool. All right, where, where does this story go now? What is your? Where do you see yourself moving? You know, what is your future self?
1: Well, now that I've published the book, like I've sort of become, so now I have to figure out who I'm going to become from 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 there, mm-hmm. and. I am very, very excited um, because I want to be able to scale my work and I want to be able to create more impact doing less. Now, you know, I'm a fighter and I work really hard, but I do want to reclaim more ease and joy. So I'm actually redefining what success looks like for me so that I can have more impact, which means I have to scale, right? Somehow scale. Um, with less time. And um, so that's I'm, I, that's a work in progress that I, I'm working towards. But what I know, um, because I love what just came up to me when you asked me this question, is, you know, fine is a four-letter word, right? And I won't sit in fine because I'm a fighter, right? I just, mm-hmm. I'm a high-performance coach, right? And f- when we say we're fine, that's generally a um, sort of a flashing light that I want to do more work on myself so my business right now is fine it's doing so well but that sort of that itches maybe that's the whispers again saying Mm -hmm. what's next who will I become uh, next when I've scaled and created more impact
0: yeah well I mean this whole process of becoming Mm -hmm. is an evolution that's that's the evolution of our life and I become. feel like
1: if I'm just like, so when you think about it, somebody asked me on a scale of one to 10, where's my life right now? And my life's pretty, it's pretty good. You know, I've survived cancer or I've survived like getting job loss, right? I've survived yeah. starting a company and doing well. So my I'm, I'm at like eight, nine, dare I say 10. And yeah. so a coach said to me, what if you were at a two? And I'm like, oh my gosh. If this feels so good at a two, what will I do for the 10?
0: Yeah. Yeah. That is such a good question too. And really fun. And also I just, the whole idea of you can be at a 10 and that mm-hmm. doesn't mean that you are, that you are complacent there. You can be overjoyed. Life is Fantastic. And that doesn't mean that you don't, uh, that you don't strive for even better.: Yeah, and I don't want to be Pollyanna. like life is
1: 50/50, right? We have good days and we have bad days. And I have plenty of bad days. Just my bad days are a little more joyful than they were when I was sort of perfectly miserable. Yeah But so what a, an, an exercise I'm working on as I become my next self? is I'm going to become a student again. Mm. So I'm going to tear down all of my business. And I'm saying that a little bit, um, uh, not literally, but I want to become right. a student of my business again. I want to become a student of my product again. I want to relook at everything through the eyes of being a student. If I had to create it all over again, what would it look like now? And so I just, I just started on this new project yesterday.
0: Oh wow. So you heard it here first. <laughs> <laughs> the I student love it. mindset I love it. is where the
1: growth is. And so becoming, yeah. when you're becoming, you're growing. So I wanna, I wanna like embrace the student mindset again to
0: uh, see where the growth is. Very cool. I I'm excited to to watch and see <laughs> what comes from this. From this examination. Christina, what is the hype song? What is the song that you listen to and you need an extra boost of energy?
1: My hype song is This Is Me. And it's from the movie uh, The Greatest Showman. And if you pull it up or listen to it, I want you to listen to it with the video. Um, And not the video of the one where she's doing it in the movie, but the video of when they're practicing it. It's on YouTube. And so anytime, like, yeah. I, yeah, anytime I want to like give a great workshop or I'm giving a talk, I typically put it on there because this is me. I'm not perfect. I have plenty of warts. I have plenty, plenty of uh, weaknesses. And I am who I am. I, I oftentimes say, like, I've got all these the certifications and whatnot. I've gone to college. I've been in the C-suite. But I'm not an expert in any of it. The only thing I'm really an expert in is myself. Mm -hmm. And
0: so this is me. Yeah, here you are. So if someone wants to continue this conversation with you, where's the best place for them to find you and connect with you?
1: Well, you can find me on my website, which is ChristinaLangdon.com. But if you want to continue the conversation, you can uh, subscribe to my uh, newsletter. I put out a newsletter that's called Sunday Sunshine, and it comes out on Sundays because oftentimes we get that that, the the Sunday scaries when we're thinking about the work week ahead. And Mm -hmm. so I drop a message into your email every Sunday to help you think about creating the work week ahead that you want. So you can subscribe on the website and you can find me on Instagram at Christina Langdon Boss Lady.
0: Very cool. All right, I'm going to put links to all of those in the show notes as well as to that version of This Is Me that you were talking about. Oh, great. I love that. Thank you so much for joining me today, Christina, on fine is a four-letter word. Oh, Lori, this was so much better than fine. What an honor to have this conversation with Christina. Something I don't think we mentioned in this interview is that she and I grew up like five miles from each other. The timing of the universe and when you end up meeting certain people is always interesting. Here are the key takeaways. Number one, growing up a fighter can be a mixed bag. You get what you fight for, but what you get might not make you happy. It's important to cultivate a life where you don't have to fight anymore. Number two, a title is not required to be a leader. You just have to lead. Number three, don't wait for a crisis to decide that you are deserving of more. If you have that itch, the time to discover what's calling you is now. Number four, life is bigger than the size of your bank account. Instead of wondering how you can afford a sabbatical, ask yourself, what is it costing you not to take one? Thanks for listening to Fine is a Four-Letter Word. If you've enjoyed the show, please follow and share it with a friend. Leave a review on Apple Podcasts or your favorite platform to help others discover it too. You can find links to my socials on my website, zenrabbit.com. And before you go, take a moment to reflect on what you're grateful for today. Remember, you have the power to create a life you love, and I'm proud of you. Thanks for joining me. Take care.